Hey folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to Pivot Point. I am delighted that you're here. Thank you for tuning in. So... You know, this is where I usually go on some sort of rant or let me tell you what's going on in my life. But I have an announcement to make. This episode, episode 72, will be the last episode of Pivot Point for this season. We have gone steady for a year, almost a year and a half, actually. And it's time to take a little bit of a break, pull back look at the show as a whole, and really decide where where do we want to go with this. I am about to start some projects that are going to require a lot of my time. And I got to be honest, during other projects when I'm on them and doing the show, it just was really hard timing-wise, to get it all together. There were a couple of times, if you go back and you hear when I'm at the end of the show telling you who's going to be on next week, and I'm going to say it's a surprise, because quite honestly, it was going to be a surprise. I didn't have anybody booked yet. And sure enough, somebody came on the show, and I, I had another show to do. But right now, I'm looking at the way things are, I'm looking at the future, and I think it's the right time. I think it's time to call it a season ender and really start reflecting back on where do I want this show to go. I have to tell you, I absolutely love doing this show. I have met some extraordinary people. And I have learned so much about the artistic journey. And I hope you have too. I hope it's been entertaining for you. And more than entertaining, I hope it's been encouraging. Because the life of an artist who chooses to put their time into the art that they do It's an up and down road full of joys and full of disappointments and always driven forward by their must-have, must-do, driven forward by having an expression that they must get out into the world. And that's why I do this show. I love that. So... Today's guest will be the final guest for a while as, you know, I would love to see this show become more like a video show, perhaps. More of it as uh, interactive, if I can. I'd love to have an audience involved. So I've got ideas. I just don't know where we're going to go or how we're going to do it. So we'll see. In the meantime, stay tuned. I will be periodically posting I'll probably do a bonus episode here and there, and I will keep you posted as to where Pivot Point is going to go from here. With that said, I'm so grateful for all of you for an amazing year and, well, I don't know how many months, 72 episodes worth. It's been awesome. And let's see what happens on the flip side. All right, with that said, my guest today, John DiNicola. Now, you remember back a couple of weeks, I had Frankie Previtt on, and Frankie and John were supposed to be on together, but John couldn't make it. He had a family emergency he needed to deal with. Um, he'll mention a little bit of that on the podcast. And now you get to hear his side of the story uh, from the songs that he co-wrote with Frankie for Dirty Dancing. And also the new stuff that he's doing, the new songs that he's writing, and when they're coming out, and where you can find them. 
Now, I'll tell you, we do get a little bit into the tech talk, which I got to say, I kind of like that. And for any of you, you know, you might feel like, oh, it's a little boring on the tech. I just want to encourage you, if you can find some old records to play, check them out. Or even go back and listen to these songs from Dirty Dancing and tell me how they're not fidelity-wise sound better. I'm telling you, they are amazing. And that's just a sign of the times of the equipment that we use. And, you know, digital isn't always better. Well, maybe it's better in some ways. But we've definitely lost some things in the sampling of the world. So, again, thank you for these awesome 72 episodes. We'll see you on the flip side. I'm hoping somewhere around March. We'll see. All right. Here is John DiNicola and I chatting her up. I'm back. Good to see you. Sorry you missed it last time. Yeah, I forget what happened that day. Oh, it was my brother-in-law. Oh. He was the hospital that day. and uh, Oh, too bad. Yep, he's doing better now. Oh, good. Good, good. So I understand that uh, Frankie tells me you're pretty far up upstate uh, near Albany. Is that right? Yeah, but more or less central New York. Uh, I don't know if you know Oneonta. I don't know. Okay. Um, where, where are you? I'm, right now I'm in LA, but I used to live in New York oh, okay. and work in Manhattan. I'm originally oh, okay. from from Boston, so oh, all right, yeah, I'm I'm very familiar. But yeah, well, I'm in LA now. If you were, if, we're about an hour and a half west and a little bit south of Albany. Actually, if you were, went to Woodstock and then drove an hour and fifteen minutes west, uh huh, central New York State. Okay, yeah. And, and why did you choose that place? Well, we've been here for a long time. Uh, we were going back and forth, uh, and we still have a place in New York City in the in the West Village where uh-huh. my son is staying. But uh, once COVID hit, you know, we, we were basically living in the city, mm. and once COVID, hit, and we would, you know, we'd come up four or five days at a time, go back to the city, you know. And uh, my son was raised in the city, but we mm-hmm. always came up here. We'd spend summers up here, and. Um, um, basically we've just been here. We planted ourselves, uh, for the last year and a half. And we, we are about to go back to the city for our first time in a year and a half. My, of course, before the vaccines, my son was in our apartment and, and he yeah. was out about working. So it was hard to kind of just come in for a couple of yeah. days. He was out, you know, New York, as you know, especially the city got hit the hardest mm-hmm. early. So, you know, we just said, let's just plan ourselves up here. And that's what we did. And of course I have a recording studio here. Yeah. So, so I heard, Oh, Oh my gosh. Do you actually uh, <laughs> look at, is that an Atari? What is that? That's an Atari over there. Yep. Wow. This is an MCI 16 track. Yeah. Two inch. Uh, Holy there's a, cows. There's a Fairchild. Uh, well, it's a re it's a remake of a, of a Fairchild and, so, and I actually have the curtains shut, but there's a big barn room there, which oh my gosh. is really good for uh, drum sounds. And, mm. yeah. So no digital for you. Well, yeah, I, I also have pro tools. I, uh, I, for the most part, I'll record, uh, either I'll record to tape and transfer to digital or I'll record digitally to pro tools and then run it through the tape machines, particularly yeah. the drums. Uh, yeah. Uh, the drums just, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I, I have a two track in the other room, a quarter inch, quarter, um, inch tape. And uh, I did this project with uh, a band that I'd worked with called the size. And I, um, I started, you know, we were, we were all here and we were recording. And then I said, let me just run it two tracks at a time through the, quarter inch tape uh-huh. which is the same really as the 16 two inch right so sure. track quarter inch and um boy we we i mean i already knew this because i always had tapes but um i ran it through and those guys were like 
wow. I mean, you just really hear all of a sudden the drums are have a little more sack and yeah. the cello was like, you know, just grainy and nice and big difference. Yeah. So that's what and I've been doing. I love that. And then when you're, when you go back to pro tools, do you lose it or is it still there? No, no, you you definitely gain. You know? Oh, good. You definitely yeah. don't lose it. Nope. Uh, otherwise I wouldn't do it. You know, no, you can immediately hear it and you go, Oh, well, yeah, that's an improvement. You know, <laughs> I, I, this next project I'm going to do, I think if I can talk the guy into it, cause it, you know, it's a little harder because, you know, with pro tools is so much you can, you know, snip and sure. And, and it, but I think we're going to record straight to tape this time and then bounce it onto digital. Oh, nice. Now, are you, are you having a hard time finding tape? Are, are there people producing no, there's, it? There's a company, uh, ATR, okay. uh, out of Pennsylvania, that's making tape. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, it's great. And are you recording at like, you know, 96 or 192 on Pro, on Pro I, Tools? I record 96. Uh, wow. And it and really doesn't add that tape quality, does it? Even at 96. No, you know, uh, you know he, it's, a, it's a funny thing because... Would you know? You you might say, "Oh, that sounds good." If I just recorded to the to the digital at 90, right. 92 and um, at ninety six, um, but when you a b it, when you go, "All right, let's put it through the tape and back," that's when you go, "Oh, well, we're, we we didn't have that." I just finished a project with a, a guy named Tommy Pluta, um, who was one of the members of this band called The Size, who had a, some notoriety in, in the nineties. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we did it, it. I mean, it's digitally, but I ran everything through everything through the tape machine. And, and he has a couple of other songs on there that are just digital. And you, you definitely hear the difference. You definitely hear that. It, it sounds like an analog recording. Oh man. I bet that yeah. sounds great. No, it's really, That's... you know, modern pop, which we hear on the radio probably doesn't matter because it's all simply yeah. stuff anyway. But if you start pulling out, you know, start having drums and guitars and, 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 uh, you know, real instruments, <clears throat> you really hear it. You know, I was, um, a few weeks back, I interviewed, uh, Stacy Weidlitz and, you sure. know, he, he and Patrick wrote the song. Right. And, um, and I played a sample of it on the podcast and I was blown away of the fidelity. <laughs> I just was like, oh my gosh. Right. And then, um, so Frankie's interview, I, I actually uploaded it yesterday. Uh, but while I edited, I put in uh, Time of My Life and Hungry Eyes as well. Just snippets, just to introduce people as to this is who's on the show today. And um and it just was the fidelity is amazing to me. Well, yeah, it's 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 kind of like what I was saying. It's if it's not there, you may not miss it. <laughs> but yeah. when you hear it, you go, "Oh, all right, I, yeah, miss I, it." I hear yeah. the difference, you know. Oh, I yeah. I actually put a um after all these years, I, I used to kind of fool around with um, single ended tube tube stereo tube amps and and very high efficient speakers, but I, I finally broke down and got myself an old Macintosh, you know, uh -huh. not M-A-C, M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H, uh, Macintosh, who, who, curiously enough, have been here in Binghamton since the beginning and are still there. And I bought like 60s, um, uh, I think it's called an MP, MPC-40 or whatever, it, but it's a tube amp and a tube um mm -hmm receiver and uh preamp and i got these really nice speakers that the guys recommended uh there and i'm telling you i i just uh i i'm a big moby grape fan that's why i'm wearing this 805 t-shirt here um and i just picked up their records again i i actually have them in new york city but mm -hmm. i didn't have them here so i ordered some and i i i'm it's like listening when you listen on a system like that with tubes it's like listening to music for the first time again. It's just yeah. the stuff yeah. you just hear the separation. You hear mm. like the Beatles, anything that was recorded during that time when they were using tube gear to record it, mm -hmm. or it was all, you know, um, you know, um, 
just high end gear, uh, you just you hear it. You hear it. Mm. You know that. I, I my theory is that's why you still have kids who listen to the Who and the Beatles, and because it, the, the analog sound imprints on your brain better mm-hmm. than the digital. Digital is, you know, chopped pieces, yeah. enough pieces for you, you to go. Oh, okay. I, I I hear that. You know, the, you don't hear the the um you know the the breakup of it. It's just enough yeah. to fool your ears to think you're hearing what that tape machine gives you, which is the full spectrum. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like uh, I, I I I'm in here all day. You know, working on songs, and then I go in there and I just I'll put on a a an old Frank Sinatra record that. Uh, Klaus Ogerman did the strings for and mm. you know, just just those records that are made back in the day, you know, the heyday really sonically was probably, you know, late 50s into the mid 60s. And then everything went solid state and things changed. But yeah, you know, the recordings were beautiful and, yeah. and they kind of blossom on a system like that. The tubes sort of bring that information out. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I've experienced it younger when I was first starting out and experienced us going into digital and I was not a big fan, but you know, you, you can't stop the progression. And, and now when we're working on movies, you know, we're mixing and it's like people are watching it on their phones and listening to it with earbuds. Yeah. And I'm like, Mm. (laughs) I know. And you have to mix for to that, for that. Yeah. You have to really be aware. And I am amazed at how some of these uh, earbuds are able to have low-end response. Mm. I, I don't quite understand how that happens mm. because you need it's a bigger sine, sine wave, you know? Right. But um, so tell me, you know, as uh, so you're in New York, but did you always live in New York? Were you always in Manhattan? I grew up actually on Long Island. Um, out in Suffolk County, and I probably moved into New York City in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And then I've been living there ever since that. Wow. And have you always been playing guitar or what, what's your, what's um, your musical I mean, background? Yeah. Well, my main instrument would be bass. Okay. Uh, but as a songwriter, I, I'm, you know, I, in fact, on my records, which I, I've just finished the second one, or after all these years, I did my first. Uh, record uh, in 2019, and I'm you know I'm, I'm locked hold up here in the barn and you know guitars, basses, uh, you know keyboards, synths. I, I I've been using my Juno 106, my Roland Juno 106, which I wrote Hungry Eyes on. Oh man, back then, yeah. Uh, but I'm it's still a very relevant uh, instrument today. Um, yeah. So I've been using that. So. Uh, I play everything, uh, particularly f- when I'm putting tracks together. Uh, I, I, you know, am I a great keyboardist? No. Am I a great guitarist? No. But I can put what I need across. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm a pretty good bass player. Um, but I, I mean, I even have uh, I have um, marimbas up there. I mean, I, I have all kinds of stuff. And it's just fun to to mix textures. I have a sitar that I play. Oh, nice. Yeah. But, um, but my background, I guess, you know, really, uh, I started like in, as a seventh grader playing with my buddies and we had bands and kind of, I never stopped playing. I started mm. in seventh grade and we kept playing. And then I started to get into a more, um, in high school, I probably started listening to like Frank Zappa and then Weather Report. And I kind of got into a mm. Jocko fretless mm-hmm. bass thing. And I, I actually did a, a record with a band called Flight that was on Motown Records um, that um, actually years later, Erica Badu sampled one of our songs for her hit back in the day. Um, and How so, fun. Which is kind of fun. I think she was on Motown at the time. Maybe she still is. And she was going through the archive <laughs> and found our, our record. So I went to Berkeley College of Music for a short time. And then I got mm-hmm. called by flight to do that record. And then I started just um, kind of shifting to original uh, pop music. 
And I was working in different bands doing that kind of trying to get record deal kind of situation. And, and that, that, that actually uh, brought me to, I was working in a studio in New Jersey at a guy named David Prater's house uh, studio. It was in his basement. And Frankie happened to be working there at the same time. I had never met Frankie Mm. and Frankie was looking for music for his fourth Frankie and the knockouts record. And I was working on the track, which is now hungry eyes. And um, David played that track for Frankie kind of exactly as you hear it, you know, Mm. if you take the vocal away and Frankie, you know, David said, you know, there's this guy, John, he's got this music you want. And Frankie took it home and and wrote hungry. You know, we wrote hungry eyes together and, uh, and we were working on more songs for Frankie and the knockouts. And, um, and then Jimmy Einer called uh, the fate, fateful call uh, for Dirty Dancing, which, yeah. which I heard you worked on. I did. I was the music editor. So I worked with Jimmy quite wow. closely oh, great. and uh, edited every piece of music uh, for the wow. film. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was, um, you know, I was young. Yeah. I was uh, 20, oh man, 25. I was wow. 25. Yeah. And um, how'd you wind up with the gig? Oh man. <laughs> so it's funny. Uh, I never thought I was going to work in this business. So uh, I'll back up a little bit. I too went to Berkeley College of Music and um, left there with a film composition degree. Nice. So uh, I came out to Hollywood after right away and uh, I spent two and a half years banging my head against the wall and not getting any kind of breaks, mm-hmm. working at a blueprint factory like you know uh, an architectural firm doing their blueprints really is what i is more accurate mm-hmm. and eventually left la thinking it's just not going to happen mm, uh, I, wow. I ran out i ran out of money mm. and so when i got back to uh boston i started teaching at berkeley uh, as a ta yeah. Yeah. and then i got a call from new york to do a TV series as a music editor. So I did that. It was uh, short-lived, but one of the editors went on to do this low-budget independent feature and asked, do I want to come along? And he said, it was a musical. I'm like, well, sure, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> and that was Dirty Dancing. And who knew? It, it um, you know, it was a lot of work in, in, in the regards of trying to make, uh, you know, this story. Right. And, um, but Jimmy, you know, I lived in Stanford at the time, so he would drive me home, Oh, you know, and it would always be giving me, as I said, in Frankie's conversation, these sage words of advice, you know, and, um, it was just great. And he really had a vision for this film. Yeah. I really attribute the success of Dirty Dancing, especially the soundtrack to Jimmy. Wow, that's awesome. You know, because I just watched how he had this vision of what it could be, mm. along with everybody else. I mean, you know, Emil, the director, was sure. making yeah. his movie. Sure. sure. And the producers were, I mean, everybody was making it, but I just, being with Jimmy and, and overhearing some of the phone calls, um, I just like, man, this guy's got vision for this thing. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you work with Eleanor at all? I did work with Eleanor. I saw her a few times in the editing room. I got to know her pretty well. I haven't seen her in probably, I mean, it's decades now. I, I'm, um, I'm good friends with her. We're in touch still. Oh, wonder, please tell her I said hello. I she will. may or may not remember me. I mean, we're going back. I but, wonder uh, if it, when we came in then, would we have seen you? We came in to, I'm thinking, once we had the time of my life in the film, they, yep. asked, they needed more songs. Yep. And that's where Hungry Eyes came in. And we came in to meet with Emil was there, Eleanor was there, and possibly you were there because we were they were we were screening the the scene and and we need a song here. Uh, initially the, the Hungry Eyes where they wanted a song was where uh Love Man ended up. Mm-hmm. So they they heard Hungry Eyes and they were like, well, I don't think that's going to work for this scene. But we yeah. have another scene it might work in. And of course, it did. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I wasn't there. I think it was probably the picture editor, Peter Frank, was probably okay. there. Okay. Um, yeah, I, because I probably was doing other things for other pieces of music. Okay. And a meeting like that, they would probably not want me to pull away from what I was doing, you know? Right. Right. But I was um, I was fortunate enough to go to the recording session for Time of My Life. I was there for all of the rhythm section, and um, and cool. once everything was done and and in sync, they flew me home. And then the vocals were laid in later. I don't know mm -hmm. how much later. Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. But um, have you yeah. Heard have you heard the original demo recently? No, I have not. But Frankie sang that with. My friend Rochelle Capelli, uh, and they were singing in the same octave. So mm -hmm. you know, when they said, when we found out Bill <laughs> Bill Medley was singing, we we're like, how is he going to sing that up there? And yeah, first they brought it down the octave, which is uh, probably worked much better because it kind of gives you the difference between Johnny and Baby. Yeah, you know, really, yeah. really make that uh, distinction. There was so many amazing synchronistic things that happened on this movie and in the music. Yeah. And, um, That's it, so true. it's so amazing. I know Emil would say at the time, you know, he, well, just after the time, uh, when it took off and became, you know, he said it was just a, an alignment of the stars. It was like, you, you couldn't make this happen. It just happened. Uh, just everything just, fell into place you know it wasn't even it was a very small uh film company yeah yeah you know, what were the chances of them having a huge success you know they were doing videos mostly yeah so uh really it's a it's a story you know what it i it blows my mind to see what, what i was just watching just watch it's almost every show you watch there's a some kind of reference we just saw something the other day and the whole, the first three or four lines were, you know, it might have been, uh, it might have been Bob Hart's Abishola. And I can't remember what it was, but there's always some kind of reference. Somebody said, yeah. oh, I'm having the time of my life. And, and, uh, you know, <laughs> can't put me in the corner. It happens. It's so many different films there. I remember um, New Girl, uh, their first episode. And then the following year, they did the same thing. First episode was the time of my life. She was crying. She broke up with her boyfriend. That's why she was moving mm. into this other apartment with these other guys. And, and she's sitting there watching, you know, Dirty Dancing and the time of my life. And she's singing. I mean, it, it happens uh, so often. Yeah. I, it's amazing. I think. I think, what's that? I say, who would think, you know, how oh, many years later we're talking about it, you know? I know. It's, it's, it is pretty remarkable. I think Frankie mentioned something. There's a, a thousand club where yeah, people, women have, have, people have seen it a thousand times. Yeah. That, that just is amazing. You know what but, I love about it? And I, we just watched it recently again. You know, I hadn't seen it. I'd seen pieces here and there. And uh, we watched it again. And, you know, it's one of those movies that you don't see the acting. You know what I mean? A lot of times you see a movie yeah. four or five, three or two or three times and you go, uh, you know, they look, they're acting. You can see they're, mm. they're speak, you know, spewing the lines out. This, this is believable. It's, yeah. you know, it's believable. And I, I attribute that to Emil. I attribute that to, to uh, Jennifer and, mm -hmm. and Patrick, you know, they're yeah. just, they just pull it off in a natural way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It really does hold up. I watched it a couple of years ago. I was hiking up in Idlewild and came back one night and I flipped on the TV and there it was. I'm like, Oh, I think I'll watch it. <laughs> and it, like, this really holds up. It really does. You know, Eleanor had an article that the weekend it came out in the New York times, it was the front page of the Sunday arts and leisure section. And she has a, Oh, whole article about much more of the political things that were in there mm. like like the uh freedom rides and 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 um you know and of course the abortion issue and and mm -hmm. it was uh and the sort of um you know that was that was the last summer takes place in the last summer before John F Kennedy gets shot he gets shot in November 20, you know, of that mm -hmm. year. 
So it was, it's kind of like a little bit of a metaphor, you know, the way she laid it out in the article, you know, for America's loss of innocence, you know, mm. um, going into that um, dark time. Of course, now, I don't know. Now it's, it seems darker now. I, know. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, It's like, it's hard to believe that we could have been, we, get, we get got darker. into a darker time, but it's darker. It's dark. Yeah. It's dark. It's scary. And we got to get, got to get our, as a nation, we've got to get ourselves together because, you know, we're fighting each other and we're not getting anywhere. You know, no, I, I know. I'm, I'm just seeing, you know, the talk still talking about trying to pass something today and and they're trying to pull out the the um global warming stuff and i'm like jesus that's the stuff we need we gotta have that that's we're running out of time here and that's you know if you're a republican democrat whatever that should be your number one issue to address that unless you don't notice these storms we had a storm here two weeks ago we got six inches of rain in in an Mm. hour and it wow. was it was like it looked apocalyptic. I'm I'm telling you the yeah. water was just floating down the the mountain. I'm in I'm in the mountains here, and it mm-hmm. was just uh, you know we we actually have a pool here, and it it I'd never seen this. It turned into a mud hole. It, mm. it just lifted the earth, just lifted and dropped into that pool. I never saw that before. It took oh us my a week gosh. to get it out of there. Wow, but this stuff is happening. You know, and I don't know. You if- know. I listen to, um, occasionally when I fall asleep, I listen to some old radio shows that are just streaming and, uh, it's a, I listen to talk radio and they were talking about climate change and global warming in 97 and 95. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, know, I was saying to someone today, um, I, uh, the, um, in in the seventies, if you were around in the seventies, I was you know seventy three. Mm-hmm. I graduated high school. Um, it was all, that was all the talk was we gotta we gotta do something for the Earth, you know, Earth Day, and that's where Earth yeah. Day started. And and so we've had fifty something years, and it, we're still not <laughs> we still don't have it together. We're, we're not even close, you know. No, Remember Jimmy no. Carter was saying, I forget what year that would have been. I guess that would have been mid eighties. You know, if we all set our thing to 65 we can start saving energy and you know i I don't know i don't know what it's going to take for us to wake up i don't know i don't know there's a movie out there that um it's called the day after tomorrow Mm. and um it's all about this it's it's a it's a few years old it's got a beautiful score it's got a great message and it's entertaining but uh it, it definitely see it tells you how the earth will have the final word. Of course. Of course, we're nothing compared to the earth. Um, two things. I haven't seen that movie, but I want to because a good friend of mine, Jay, Jay Sanders, J.O. Sanders, uh, is he's the one that falls into the crevice in the ice. Or uh, I, I, Yeah, that's Jay Sanders. Is that the big guy? Yeah, big guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like him. He's a good actor. Yeah, he's great. He's a great character actor. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Uh, him and his son and my son grew, kind of grew up together. But um, uh, what was the other? Oh, now I don't remember my other point. But anyway, yeah, I, I want to yeah. see that movie from the beginning. And uh, that's yeah. that, that's about got to be at least ten years old. Right? It is. It is at least ten. Yeah, it's yeah. one of my favorite movies. Um, because I do like natural disaster or you know man versus like you've got to do stuff with the earth kind of a thing and right um and i like it in a narrative form rather than like a documentary so it's got a story behind it while all this other stuff is happening and um and i love the music for it it was a beautiful score i gotta check it out who scored you know oh gosh i'll look i'll look it up yeah i don't remember it's i don't remember the name right now you know on the same subject sort of did you happen to see, I think it was Anderson Cooper interviewing uh, William Shatner after he came back to Earth? Uh, no, but I did see William Shatner's reaction when he landed and how what he had to say when he came out of the capsule. Right, but then he goes further on with Anderson Cooper and he, he says... It's, it says everything we would want somebody to... I, I wish he could sit down with Joe Manchin and say... All those things to Joe Manchin mm, because yeah. he said when you know when I went up there and I I, I in a blip you're out of the atmosphere and you're up there and he said all I could see was 
the fragility of what the earth, you know, that little thin layer that keeps us alive. He said out here, it's the giant expanse. He says, it's just, we die in, in seconds. He said that little, you know, so when he came back to earth, I mean, he says it way more eloquently than I can, but he says, you know, he said, when I come back, when I came back to earth, I, all I could do was feel, uh, you know, just sadness that we're, we can't seem to get. He said, who cares if it's a billion dollars? You got to do it. A yeah. trillion dollars, whatever it is, you got to do it. He says, Wait, yeah. we have no, this is our only place. This is our only place this to is live. It. <laughs> and if we know. blow it, he, you should look it up. It's um, him and, uh, and uh, Anderson Cooper on CNN. And it really, it's kind of moving. And I wish, you know, he would be able to talk to some of these people who are still, I don't know where they're I at. know. I don't know why they're, I know. I, it, it's when we start to politicize right. for power. Right things like COVID-19 or global things that are like, you know, killing people or could potentially wipe us out. Right. A a higher mindset needs to prevail. Exactly. And, um, you you really should see it because he talks about all that really. And, uh, yeah, well, I will, I'll look for it. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out because I'm interested in that for sure. Uh, Take me back a little bit now, because what I'm curious about is, so you're playing bass, you played in bands in high school, you decide to go to Berkeley, you get called to be part of a band. Has everything really just constantly been opened up and opened up? Or was there ever a point where you felt like, I need to get a job? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good, really good question. Um, I I sort of lucked out because my brother had a, a restaurant in uh, in New York City uh, down by the uh, Fulton Fish Market. The God, what was that called? There was a whole area. And I was able to kind of bartend there for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and while I was working in original bands, mm-hmm. so that, I was able to, in fact, that's where, that was my last job before Dirty Dancing took off. And once that took off, you know, it's been, I've been, lucky that yeah. you know, between those two songs um between you know people using it for uh, a commercial or putting mm-hmm. it in a movie or uh, it's been in i don't know how many countries as a play <clears throat> yeah you know it's been able to basically float me while yeah. you know doing everything else i'm working uh you know be, Bought this studio and and, and mm-hmm. I have a small record label, OMAD Records. Some of the records behind me, nice. um, and um, so I, I I did. You know, I was lucky that my brother had a restaurant, and I was able to subside. You know, subsist on that until that broke. But uh, mm. trying to think of what else before that. You know, as a youngster, I, I worked. My dad was a bricklayer, so I I, I oh, worked, wow. uh, you know in the summer yeah. I did that and. Um, that was, that's it pretty much, uh, uh, working bartending and, uh, club, you know, club bands and, mm-hmm. um, and then I got really lucky. I mean, I yeah. consider myself, uh, blessed and, and lucky to, uh, to continue. And sure. then, then I, um, as a songwriter, um, years and years of putting tracks together, you know, it, as a songwriter, you know, you used to be able, well, you can just acoustic guitar or a piano and a vocal mm. and sell a song that, you know, that's those days are so long gone. So you had to become a producer. Yeah. And so th- that's what I, I kind of, you know, I'd build tracks and, um, you know, get other people to sing on, 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 you know, if, I, if somebody needed a song, I'd get somebody who sounded like that to sing the song and mm. try and write a song that, I thought this artist might do. I, in fact, I'm still working with John Waite. We just started working on stuff together um, that we we had written back then that uh, we revisited and we said, well, wow, that still sounds, you know, so we're revisiting that stuff. But, um, um, you know, it's just been just being able to to build tracks and produce tracks has been what I've been doing for the last number of years. And 
And then for some reason, I'm trying to think of why I started. I put this barn studio together. And uh, the first thing I did was uh, my son's a drummer. And I tried out the big room. I set up the drums in there and I mic'd it up. And I, I, I did a, a song and and um, I was uh, it was a song, actually, that Frankie and I had written. Frankie Previtt and I had written for um, Avenging Angelo. Uh, it's a, uh, a movie that Sylvester Stallone did. And the song was in the movie, sung by a guy named Steve Holly, uh, Steve Holy, uh, um, country singer. Mm-hmm. But it was never outside of the movie. It was never released as a song. And I, I, th- I thought, God, it's such a good song. I, I, I should, we should get it out there again and try and get mm-hmm. a cover. And uh, so I built the tracks. I tried out the drum room, and I, oh, it sounds great. And I, I built the tracks the way I thought. Always thought that song could sound. And when it came time to put a vocal on it, I just said well let me just i'll just throw them out my vocal and and i did and uh you know i played it for people and they really liked it and that kind of snowballed into doing that record the why because um uh which is uh i did in 2019 uh, i i don't know i i think it just it i it that i did that song and it sort of felt good mm. I, I never and i thought well it might be f- good for me to <clears throat> define who I am mm-hmm. as an artist. You know, I've, yeah. I've been trying to get into other people's heads and write songs for them. And so th- it kind of revealed, although that record is a lot of songs that I had already written for other people, or whether I, I, I cover um, Hungry Eyes and the time I do a very stripped down version of the time of my life is just acoustic guitar and some French horns. And um, and then there's a John Wade songs and, and then some other songs that I thought should have been hits that never got to see the light of day. And mm. but they were all kind of written before. And and, uh, and that kind of defined I defined myself, I guess, as a singer and everything. But then when COVID hit, I, I'm. Um, my second record uh, called She Said, it's not out until November 5th. I have a couple of songs that are uh, mm-hmm. been released, but um, those are all written for this record. So for me, mm. so that's the very, it's unique for me to write for myself. Yeah. But uh, what I really love about doing it is um, it's so, it was so freeing. I, I, I didn't, I no longer had to think about what somebody else yeah. would want to do. I, it was all guided by my own, uh, there were no template, you know? And mm-hmm. so, um, How I, did you find that experience? Because, um, and I want to go back just one step with this. What was it like? I, I, I do want to know that answer, but what was it like to, and and this may sound, I don't know, maybe a little crass, but I don't mean it in any disrespectful way. But what was it like to start creating without having the money as this either conscious or subconscious drive? Yeah. Because now you're doing it for the sake of doing it. And was that a mental shift for you? That's a really good question. It doesn't seem crass at all. I'm I'm trying to separate the two i think in a way i think that's why i enjoyed the process so much because mm. it's it, kind of liberating I, I i i you're right I, you know the business is such that these days it's like what what else can you do but but just put out what you want because mm-hmm. because you know the it, it's it's the modern pop music and what's left of the record business is uh, something foreign to me. I, I, I mean, I can still put together those kind of tracks, mm-hmm. but it's not fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, I got to go find samples. I got to go, you know, make it, and, and this might sound crass, make it so simple. I mean, it's, simple is hard. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not no, saying it's easy, but it's, or maybe it's the word simplistic. Well, you know that you got songs that multiple artists could be singing. You know, it's the same. It's this. You have a track 
this track sounds just like that track. And, and it's so Mm -hmm. the voices are in, you know, interchangeable uh, because everything kind of sounds the same. If I put on a top 40 New York city station right now, a lot of those songs sound exactly the same with the auto tune and the, you know, the, the, the compression is right in your face. So everything's right here. And um, so to keep chasing that, you know, especially at, at you know, my stage of, of my career, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's 20 year olds are doing that and God bless them. I, I hope mm-hmm. they have success, but I, I you know, I, I find projects like uh, Peter Lewis was one of the founding members of Moby Grape. And I was a huge Moby Grape fan when I was 12 <laughs> and, and uh, we, I did a record with him, you know, and it's, it's kind of music that I, I, I really, um, you know, gravitate towards. It's, it's, um, what, what song was I just hearing the other day? I'm, I'm jumping around here. I just heard a song the other day and I went, you know what, if you take away the production, it's still, it's still a, a good, oh, I know what it was. It was Blinded, Blinding Lights, um, mm. The Weekend. I don't know if mm-hmm. you know that song, but if you, I, I heard somebody else cover it and I went, you know what? That's got a, a a a verse, a B verse, and a chorus. That's like a song I would have type of song I would have written. Mm. But you know, but he has a modern. Although he's he is throwing back to the '80s with that, but he has a modern twist on it, so it it sounds modern. But it's a song. It's a song. Mm-hmm. Song. You know. And uh, to get back to the question, though, it was kind of liberating for me to to just just that to not have to i'm not worried about and and i've said that to friends because they'd say well you want to do this and that and i said you know what? i don't really care mm. i just want to do my music and if yeah. people like it that's awesome yeah, you know, yeah i yeah, want yeah. them to like it and i hope they like it but uh you know i'm 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 okay financially so i don't have to go through hoops and and, yeah. and i i can't tell you how much fun uh it's been really, it's just been the, both records. Um, the new one more so because I, I would come in here, set up I, I, like four or five of the songs came out this way, set up my Juno 106 and just, just start stream of conscious mm-hmm. playing just, and then, I, and then I, okay, that's a good verse. All right. That's cool. And let me go to and have a chorus. And then, and then I just sing a melody over it. And then I, I usually either have a, a chorus idea, or I, or I call somebody like Frankie or my friend Patty Maloney, and and I actually wrote one song on this record, uh, also the first record, uh, with a guy named uh, Keith Reed from uh, White um, uh, Procol Harum. He wrote "Whiter Shade of Pale," and uh, that was an instance where he sent me a lyric, and I just put music to the lyric, but. Um, you know, it was just a, a very stream of consciousness. Like mm. I said, these were all new songs. I didn't, I didn't adapt songs I had written for me. These mm-hmm. were songs that I had written for me. So, you know, it's, uh, it's the most fun I've had. I have to mm. say. I think that's fantastic. I think when we can put ourselves in that place of hearing what we want to hear and create what's coming through us it is satisfying and when you're able to do it without the pressure of oh i need to do this for work i need to make sure this sells right that that i think that really puts a a a, (laughs) my brain just goes into a twisty tie around that creative tube you know it just tightens it right up no that's true and I think a lot of people, as they're creating, who do need to do it for work, have to really separate that thinking of, okay, I just went, like in your case, let's just say, I went and bartended, that's done. Now I've got to change my brain focus to creativity. Right. Um, did you find that, because Dirty Dancing happened, what, what, probably in your late, early, early 30s, right? Yeah. late 20s early 30s oh. and so then like then you have all that wave of the success of everything then it starts dying down then i'm sure people are like trying to get you to write stuff for them and blah blah you know all that because it's a machine 
when or if did you ever lose the sense of curiosity in your own creativity during that flail of stuff? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, that might be something that you just uncovered because that's uh, doing my own stuff unleashes all that. You know, mm, it, mm. Uh, uh, what was interesting on this, on the last record, is how much, um, I, I like I said, there was a lot of synth stuff, so it sounded kind of indie-ish, but mm-hmm. there was also a very heavy, and I, 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 I was a little surprised, a very heavy sort of 70s soul stylistics mm. type of Barry White type melodies. I started singing very... <laughs> Fal- That's great. Opposite of Barry, I'm, I'm singing yeah. more like stylistic fal- falsetto uh, stuff. I, I discovered that uh, uh, I have a, a, a better control of my falsetto, and mm. people seem to re- to like it and respond to it. So, um, um, curiosity, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit. I mean, it's. I, I've always been kind of a um, gut writer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't put a lot of thought into it. And um, it, it's more like a vessel. Yeah, I, no, I, always, I, I get it. Like I always like, like Hungry Eyes was a song that wrote itself in mm-hmm. m- m- musically, melodically and musically in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That song played itself, you know? I just sat there and I went, and it just, it just went. So, um, so again, that's a a lucky, lucky that that caught on in a way Mm -hmm. that, uh, but, you know, after that, you know, you know, I, I, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. I, I guess I was sort of just, it's a hard question to answer. I guess I was sort of just, pursuing what needed to be pursued yeah. in order to try and get a, another cover. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. it would be fun. Like with John Wade, it was a lot of fun because uh, we, I, we had two songs that were on his album, um, Temple Bar. Uh, but John, and we had like 12, 20 songs maybe that we'd written together. John was fun because we would just sit in the room and and I would just maybe make a track and then he would, we'd put the microphone up and he'd just start singing mm. and then we'd, we'd punch in and, you know, he'd kind of make a story up as we went. So that was kind of stream of consciousness too. But, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess I always tried to do something that I thought I, I would like to hear, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But um, what was it that, you chose to start doing just your own stuff. And what's the question there? Well, what 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 was it that made me do that? Um, yeah, because and maybe it was COVID. I don't know, but oh, is this the, the twenty nineteen record was just was before COVID? So, um, you know, because you're writing, you get opportunities to yeah. write or co-write. When did you decide and why did you decide, I'm going to just start writing the stuff that I like just for me. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, right. it's Well, that, okay. that would be the COVID record. You're right. This record, as I said, 2019, that was all songs that I had already written mm-hmm. and just adapted to myself. You know, mm-hmm. John Waite song that I wrote with him and um, Keith Reed and Anthony Kryzon he did it like up tempo rock thing and i did it like an old english folk song so mm. so but the newer record it was i would say it was covid inspired I, you know where, where where was i going you know yeah <laughs> going from my, <laughs> your house to your farm to my <laughs> studio and uh you know i think the fun i had making the first record you know um made me want to do the second record and and again, since I I had I needed new new songs because uh, I kind of adapted anything I had written uh, already. You know, I, mm. I adapted it to me, and I didn't have much else I thought I could sing because mm-hmm. for some reason I always ended up writing songs more for women uh, in mind than guys. But um, 
Yeah, I, I think it was just that. Uh, and I, I can't tell you really. Um, it's sort of like getting up and having breakfast and and just going about your day. It just happened. It mm-hmm. just I just put the you know the tracks up and started to go. And in a way, I almost can't tell you how I did it. I'm a little surprised because I really liked the way it came out. That's great. It really sounds good. And it defines me as an artist for sure. And so- sonically, I'm very proud of it. And and the songs, are, I, I, there's some of the lyrics uh, that Patty Maloney uh, wrote and, and everybody really. I have one song with Frankie Previtt, one song with um, um, Keith Reed, who I mentioned, um, and four songs with Patty Maloney, and then two other songs with a guy uh, that's on my record label. I don't know if I have his record here. Russ Dust, a guy named Jason Stutz. He came up with some beautiful lyrics to the music that I, I, mm. I sent to him, music and melody. And um, uh, it's just, I, 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 I'm really happy with it, which is another lucky blessing. I mean, it's like, yeah. You know, like you said, I, I I think people will like it if they hear it. Mm-hmm. Will they get to hear it? You know, that it's, it's so hard these days to get music out there. I mean, what are your choices? Spotify, you know, um, it's it's not, you know, and I'm starting at a late age to, to have any fans. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's this, a statement of who I am. Gosh, that sounds like a record title. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, <laughs> we ended up with it's called She Said, uh-huh. um, and we actually used the album cover. I don't know if I have it here. Uh, the album, I'm waiting for the LPs. Uh, I don't think I have a CD here either. But the album cover ended up. Uh, my wife, um, among other things, uh, she used to be a, um, a, a reporter in in the Kansas area, the tri-state area for NBC, and and then and then she was a, a model for a while and. I have some pictures from her uh, from the 80s that we kind of blew up and got in close on. And that's the album cover. Nice. And it's the title song she said is kind of about a, a strong uh, a woman who's um, wanting her the, the guy in it to, um, you know, come into this on his own that, that you know, that he has yeah. to, come to her and and want this and that and and it's you know sort of a a, a modern uh take on a relationship the the guy the guy just can't sit back he's got yeah, well, he to take some steps here yeah exactly you have to yeah. you know come come to me a little bit um you know i um what she said she said i can't give you more than you possess or teach you anything you know yeah. Yeah. Well, it's you know, uh I, I won't hold you to something you are not, you are free to come and go. You know, it's like you gotta make yeah. effort, you know. Yeah. So it's a really cool lyric on that. That's the title track, but there's also some other, you know, just great lyrics. I, I'm really happy <clears throat> with all the lyrics that came through on this record. That's fantastic. So Judd. Where can people find your stuff? Is it mainly Spotify at this point? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's all the all the streaming. Uh, not that they ever pay anybody anything. Right. It's a, I know, I it's know. A, it's hell, and, yeah. and songwriters can't. I, I I always do this rant. I'm, uh, uh, hopefully, you, I, I don't bore you with it. But there's no way that this can continue. Mm-hmm. With you know, people just think music is supposed to be for free. I don't know. Songwriters need incentive. They need to be able to feed their family. Yeah. Continue, and you can't feed your family on point zero zero one. I know. You know of a cent for stream, um, but you can get my record at Spotify. <laughs> but if you and I always say this too, if you really like an artist and you want to support them buy a download buy a cd buy an yeah. lp because that's how they'll make any yeah. kind of money so you can go to omad records omadrecords.com mm-hmm. and um 
all, all the records on my label, including mine, are there. Uh, you know, you can go to Amazon. You can buy mm-hmm. an LP or a CD on Amazon, or you can even buy the the download, and you can buy. Uh, I guess you, they have the streaming things now. So, so basically, anywhere you you normally get it, you can walk into a store. Uh, not that there's many left, but a, I you can know walk into a record store, and. Um, because uh, I'm through a CD distribution is through CD baby. So they have it everywhere. So if, um, if they don't have it in the store, a lot, uh, Alliance, um, mm-hmm. one stop will say, you know, so you can get it anywhere, but omadrecords.com would be the quickest and easiest way. Okay. Purchase any of the stuff. Fantastic. John, thanks so much for coming yeah. on the shows. Great to talk with you. Same here. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, really- I, love, I love the fact that we have a common uh, project that uh, probably keeps us all uh, you keeps know. us all happy. Yes, yes, it keeps us connected. Yes, so, yeah. Um, if you ever run into Jimmy Einer, please give him my best. <laughs> Frankie has a better chance of that than I. Okay. Do. But uh, I can. Okay. I, I will speak to Eleanor, and I will mention. Oh, please tell her I said hello. Yeah. Okay. She's Fan- yes, she is. Yeah. John, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. All right. What an amazing journey. Uh, I love the fact that he is just so open and honest about his his life and how now he's really been focusing on the things that he wants to say and not so much, you know, got to do it for, for, the, for the job, so to speak. Remember, you can find his music at OMAD Records, O-M-A-D Records. Dot com omadrecords.com that's where you can find John's material check it out you know I love the fact that he loves all this technical stuff too because he knows how to capture it therefore giving you that experience back it's like standing in front of an orchestra and feeling it compared to listening to a recording of it it's just different all right everybody This has been a fabulous ride for me. This is the season ender. We'll hopefully see you all back sometime in 2022, looking towards March. Remember to take care of yourself. And also remember, if he's doing it, if she's doing it, if I'm doing it, if they're doing it, why not you? (laughs) 